Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, the podcast where we interview founders of startups who have successfully raised capital. Today with me is Stephen Cool of Burrow. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Glad you could make it. Um, so let's just start off with uh, what is Burrow, what do you do, and why did you start the company? Sure. So Burrow is a direct-to-consumer furniture company. We specialize in a luxury modular sofa. Um, you know. The idea for the company kind of came about when my co-founder and I moved to Philadelphia to start business school in, in 2015, and we had to buy furniture. And you know, I went through the IKEA process, and my co-founder uh, struggled through the West Elm process, which um, you know he was told he'd have to wait 12 weeks for the color he wanted, and then to avoid paying for shipping for the color he didn't want, he ended up dragging the sofa home on the sidewalk himself, and. You know, just from talking with people and doing a lot of research, we found that um, the furniture industry is, is pretty messed up. And one of the biggest challenges um, is shipping large furniture like a couch. Yeah. And so what we did was, you know, took a page out of the mattress company books and uh, figured out a way to reverse engineer a high quality couch to ship in compact boxes. Um, and doing that allows us to cut out uh, a large amount of money that's traditionally baked into shipping the product from a factory to warehouses to local retail stores. Um, and then it also just makes it infinitely more convenient for people to get into their homes if it comes in boxes that can be delivered with UPS ground mail. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to ask if you, if you were, you know, looking at the, the mattress guys and inspired by that, it seems to be this trend of being able to, uh, buy things through the mail you couldn't buy <laughs> or I guess you know if you re rewind the clock a long ways you had the your Sears Roebuck catalog from you know many years ago and now we're kind of mm -hmm. getting back to that in some ways very interesting um how much money have you raised we have raised 4.3 million today and is that a mix of VCs and angels or what's the breakdown yeah, so when we first started in spring of 2016, um, we raised about 330K from, from friends and former bosses and one small seed firm. Um, then we got into Y Combinator, um, and so they invested some money. And then coming out of YC, we raised um, the rest of it with the other 3.9 million from uh, seed investors and, and angel investors. So let's see, which batch or which cohort of, of YC was that? When was that? We were summer 2016. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so 300 through YC, the rest after it. Yeah, 330 dirt before, 120 from YC, and then uh, the rest afterward. Gotcha. Um, let's t break those apart a little bit. Congrats on YC. That's pretty exciting. Thank you. Tell us the story of raising that first chunk um you know was it all just folks how did you meet the investors in that round uh was it all related to demo day you know give us the story of raising that first amount for the before yc uh yeah let's start with there so yeah so that so that initial amount 
um, was actually pretty easy. Um, and it kind of gave us this false sense that like fundraising is, is easy. Because uh, the first checks were from, so Kabir and I, my co-founder Kabir and I, we were in business school at Wharton. Um, and this was at the end of our first year. So we raised money from some of our friends in school who had previously worked at private equity firms or hedge funds. Um, and those were small checks, like ten, twenty thousand um, dollars $20,000. And then also from our former bosses at previous jobs. And these are all people that are betting on us, you know? Yeah. So they, they, they don't really care what we're working on. I mean, they do a little bit, but for the most part, they assume that we wouldn't be asking for money unless we were really serious about something. So um, getting those checks was actually pretty easy, I thought, um, because if you, have a, you know, if you have a good enough reputation with people that you've worked with or that you know, um, you, know you can always find people to bet on you. Um, and you know, for a lot of people, that typically looks like you know, friends and family. Um, neither of our families had really any money to invest. So, um, you know, we just went through our networks with just people who the did. the friends part. <laughs> just the friends part. Just the friends and, and bosses part, yeah. Um, and then we got one firm, uh, Red and Blue Ventures, who invests in pen-related startups. They put a $100,000 check in. Um, and that was all on a $7 million cap, 20% discount safe note. Okay. Um, and this is and, and before this, product, right? This is yeah. We had a pitch deck, uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah. that was uh, you know a lot of promises built in there at that point. Um, we didn't have a manufacturer yet. We didn't have a product, um, and that's actually something that was kind of interesting. Is that there are a lot of comparisons to the mattress companies, but for us, like the mattress companies didn't really invent a new product. Like the idea of a foam mattress and being able to roll it up like that uh, had been around previously, they just started marketing it that way mm. um, as like the differentiator. And so for us, it was a little bit harder to, or a lot harder to figure out a way to make a nice couch, a high-end luxury couch fit into boxes. Um, but we thought, you know, it's not rocket science, we can figure it out. Um, it did turn out to be a lot harder than we anticipated. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, so we raised that money then we went to YC, and so YC does their standard 120K for 7% equity. Um, and we also got a $20,000 check from Highland Capital Partners. They have um, this, this, organi or this uh, thing called Summer at Highland. Okay. And they will take uh, five or six student-founded companies, most of which are undergrad companies, but then they took us and another company uh, from HBS. Um, and they give you office space and a little bit of money and some mentorship for the summer. So <clears throat> that summer of 2016, we worked out of their office in Palo Alto um, and then, you know, commuted down to Mountain View for, for Y Combinator. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that initial amount of funding was, was great. Um, and, and like YC was amazing. We didn't expect to get in. I don't think anybody really does. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, and, and I've we, applied you know, and I didn't even get the interview. So, yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because like we, we are not a traditional YC company um, and they're doing more and more consumer physical products. But, mm. uh, you know, we're not a tech company. So that was interesting um, being around the other other companies there. People would ask us, you know, what we do. We'd say you know, we sell sofas and they'd be like software. And we're like, no, sofas. <laughs> and they're like, for what? And you're like, oh, just sit on. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, That's so, great. Uh, 
but yeah, so then YC, their, their whole thing is that they prep you to, to raise money. And uh, I think they have an interesting take on the fundraising process because um, they're very anti, I don't want to say they're anti-VC because they have connections to like literally every single venture capital firm in the world. Yeah. Um, but they, they push founders to, especially for the seed round, to raise on safe notes um, because it allows you to push off the conversation evaluation to a much later date when you actually have traction to tie uh, you know, evaluation to, yeah. um, and it also allows you to just get money faster. Um, and, and that was kind of the reason why we raised on safe notes, um, was by the time we finished Y Combinator and got to, you know, got the demo day on, in August of 2016, we had a bunch of pre-order traction, but like we hadn't delivered any products yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were kind of still tinkering with the design as well and figuring out a bunch of manufacturing challenges. So, um, for us to go raise a proper seed round, I think would have taken quite a lot of time and effort. And it was two of us running the company and we couldn't really, we were also still in business school. So, you know, we couldn't afford to have one of us go take two months off yeah. and raise full time. So, uh, we just raised on safe notes from people who are interested. Um, and our strategy was as follows. And there's different schools of thought on like how you should set the different caps, but we thought, let's set a more aggressive valuation cap um, to start and then not change it throughout the entire process. Because if we're raising from somebody, you know, three months from now, if we go to raise from someone else four months from now, I don't want to have that conversation of why the valuation has changed in the last month. I just Mm. figured let's keep it the same. And then as we get traction, it'll get easier and easier to raise. Touch on that for a minute, because in that, in your very first raise you had a, a evaluation cap on a convertible note right uh on a safe yeah oh it was all been safes no that was no also notes. that was a safe yeah okay okay safe. okay that makes sense that yeah that makes sense so you kind of set that safe valuation cap really in the initial days and you carried that through all the yc program yeah stuff. so we well we started we started with a seven million cap before yc yeah. And then when we raised after, we raised it to 12. Uh, we raised everything else after that on a 12 million cap, 10% discount. Save. Okay, I got you. That's, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, the investors that came in, how did you find them? This is like kind of a basic question, but people always want to know, how do I find and get in touch with these investors? Were they mentors at the YC program? Were they people that met you at Demo Day? Where did you actually get find these people? <laughs> Yeah, so there were a bunch that came from Demo Day, um, and it's people that are like totally random. Like, there's a lot more people that watch um, remotely the Demo Day presentations, and so like Matt Bellamy, who's the lead singer of Muse, he like after Demo Day and was like, "Hey, I want to invest," and I was like, "That's really cool." Like, I <laughs> had no idea that you were watching this, um, and so we met. Um, a bunch of people like that, and there's like former founders, there's a lot of people like that that reach out to you um, after YC. And then, so we raise about a million dollars within the next, you know, call it month um, after demo day, just from people that had uh, watched the demo day presentations. Um, The rest of it, we just kind of, we found people just by networking over time. Um, It is a lot of current investors that will introduce you to people in their network. Um, we did an angel list syndicate, 
um, which introduced us to a bunch of people who then introduced us to like their friends. And, you know, you just find pe like uh, people who introduce you to other people. Um, and, and for us, our strategy was, you know, let's go after some bigger checks, but let's not ignore the smaller ones. And, it, you know, that's not to say you want to take like $5,000 checks from people. Um, but we raised our minimum to like $25,000. And, and getting $25,000 checks isn't that challenging, especially as you start making more and more progress. Um, and it can be anybody, like it can be your dentist or uh, you know anybody who's looking to invest and people like investing in companies that they can talk about too. Mm. And startups are a really, you know, quote unquote, cool thing for people to talk about. And you send them the you know, monthly investor updates and it gets them excited. So. Um, I think that's something that, that is often overlooked is I think people are always chasing these seed firms, but it's like, if you go after a number of these $25,000 checks, they add up and yeah. some of the people end up writing big, bigger checks than that. And um, once we started delivering products in spring of 2017, um, a couple of the YC partners personally invested. Um, so Michael Siebel, who's the mm -hmm. CEO of YC, and Justin Kahn, who is the founder of Twitch, um, he, they both invested. And then introduced us to people in their network, and so a bunch of their friends would write like 50 to 100k checks, um, and all that stuff just kind of adds up. Uh, Red and Blue Ventures, who had invested that 100k back in the day, they invested a couple hundred thousand dollars more in a, in a, in a series of tranches um, as we made progress. Mm -hmm. um, and then we met Interplay Ventures um, last summer, and they wrote a 500,000 dollar check. Um, and it was like, you know, over time, as you're making progress, it just becomes an, e it's an easier and easier case, um, for people. Yeah. And, and so that's why I think raising on safe notes as you go, um, is not a bad thing to do. And, 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 and but there is some strategy to it that we kind of figured out over time. Um, and that is. If I told people, and number one, we didn't know how much money we wanted to raise in total. We didn't know how much we need. There were a lot of like hiccups that we ran into on the manufacturing and supply chain side that just required a lot more money than we anticipated. And so we never would have been able to know for sure upfront that like $4 million is the number that we need to like yeah. prove this out. Um, so like raising over time is good. But if I told people in the beginning, we're raising $4 million and we have like a million in the bank, uh, they would be like, uh, okay, sounds like you don't have anybody interested in you. And so I think what we found worked was telling people like whatever we had raised to date was the amount that we're raising, but like, it's not a hard cap. We would like a little bit more cushion sure. so that everyone feels like they're the last check in the door, which, <laughs> you know, you could say that's a little bit dishonest, but it's like, they're not going to invest unless they're interested in the company and they believe, you know, it, that you're doing something worthwhile and, uh, that part of it I see more as just like a gaming exercise and like consumer behavior. So, or like, or human psychology rather it's like, and, and it works. Yeah. So, <laughs> Oh, I think, I think the, the whole, the optics matter, right. Uh, I think, uh, I remember Angelus used to have a little meter showing how much of your round was committed already. Right. So if you're raising a little mm -hmm. a million dollars, I used to have a little bar bar graph, you know, if you were two thirds or half the way. And I think that it has a psycho psychological effect on people. It's that, that fear of missing out that we all have. Um, 
So that's interesting to, to hear that approach. So, so really you're kind of, I mean, you have two venture firms in there, but they're both fairly small seeds, seed size checks. So um, is the strategy to go after a, a proper A, you know, at some certain threshold of, of MRR or pre-orders or, or what do you think? Uh, yes. Yeah. So the next step will be to do like a, a proper series A. Um, so we're, we've finished, we're done, uh, raising our seed round. And in fact, we had an announcement, we put out a press release in, in early December announced, you know, formally announcing our seed round. And it was too challenging to explain the process of raising safe notes to, uh, reporters. So we just kind of like pretended like it was a one-time standard seed round that was led by red and blue with participation from interplay ventures and a bunch of angels and which is not inaccurate um but uh i think it was kind of funny we started getting people reaching out that were like wow like you guys that's great you just raised the round and we're like "Eh, not really like (laughs) it's not like we have four million dollars in our bank right now (laughs) um but yeah, so yeah. the next the next round will be a proper Series A. And you're a product, a physical product, consumer product company. Um, you know, most my familiarity is more in the SaaS space. I know what economics look like from that. But what what are your 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 metrics you're kind of aiming for before you know it's time to go race? I mean, you've got inventory and all, all kinds of other things to to contend with that you know other firms don't. Um, how do you think about this round in terms of both maintaining your cash cushion and uh, and and where you need to be to raise a Series A? Are there benchmarks that you're sort of shooting for for a proper Series A? Um, and what are they? You know, I don't even know what they would be. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think and I, VCs will tell you and have told us like, oh, like, like whatever your numbers are now, like, oh, let's see what you do next quarter. Like that'd be really great. And I think there you can fall into this trap of like always having a carrot kind of dangled out in front of you. Um, for us, we had our own internal benchmarks for when we were ready to raise a series A, um, which were number one, we switched manufacturing from, from Mexico to the US um, mm-hmm. last year. And so we wanted to have that completely done, fully transitioned over um, so that we could show that operationally we're ready to scale. Um, the second thing was we kind of arbitrarily picked a revenue number to hit. Um, and NVCs have kind of, you know, validated this. Like, you know, you need to be doing more than 500K a month in revenue. Um, and so we, we did cross that threshold um, in, in Q4 of last year. Um, and then the third thing was kind of, you know, how do we get really efficient with our customer acquisition and make sure that we are very profitable on every sale? Um, because with our product, um, you know, it sells a, a three-seater couch sells for over a thousand bucks, and our average order value is is a little over twelve hundred dollars. So we're we're on a unit economics basis, we're profitable on every sale. Um, but you obviously have to hit the volume required to cover all your operating costs. Um, so we could get break even um, in Q2 if we wanted to. It's just a question of do we want to optimize for scaling or do we want to optimize for, you know, not being reliant on outside capital? 
and and that's something that we've we've kind of struggled with, um, where it would be great to get to the point where we are break even or slightly profitable, because um, it gives us like the ultimate bargaining chip, which in fundraising is you can just walk away from the deal. Yeah. Um, sure. And if you can. If you if you can do that, VCs are kind of at your mercy. If you I mean if you want their money and if, if they're interested, um, so you know we we've kind of played around with that. But um, our our existing investors, um, based on the traction that we've gotten to date, are really excited. And so they they've actually been pushing us recently to to like take more money from them, which I think for us is a sign that you know now is a is a pretty good time to uh, to go out and raise and. Um, and I think our strategy with, with working with VCs for the next round, and you know, time will tell if this works or not because we haven't, haven't raised the Series A, but um, our thought process is you, know, you want to create some sort of sense of urgency for, for, for VCs, and, and that is to say like, if you feel confident that you can get some term sheets and, and interest from people, um, use that to your advantage to tell VCs like, look, I, of course you'd love to see me, you know, prove this out for another year um, and de-risk it. But like, we feel like now is the time to invest in, in growth. And um, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to, to get a round done. So we're going to, we're going to raise it now. And, you know, you got to give people a deadline. And I think that that does a lot for proving if people are interested or not. Yeah. I like that we'll sense of urgency and, uh, and deadline. That's good stuff. Um, do you have, I haven't followed too closely, but I've you know read a little bit about the mattress firms and how they're raising money. Do you have a, a, a competitor in the rearview mirror that's raised a lot of money? Does that impact you? Is that you know a factor you need to to think about? Um, so we don't really. Um, our our biggest competitors are you know the traditional furniture retailers like West Elm, Crate and Barrel, CB2, Pottery Barn, etc. Um, Ikea to some extent uh, and so we're less worried about them but I am worried about somebody else copying us and yeah. I think you know we saw that with, with Casper there were there's now like 40 plus companies that have come out literally and copied them um, and you know what we have going for us is there are more barriers to entry um, in the couch industry um, than there are in the mattress industry in that like we have patent pendings on our uh, patents pending on our design. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say somebody else couldn't come up with another way to make a high quality couch fit in boxes. But having gone through that process, you know, ourselves, we know how challenging it is. And so we do have a lot more runway there. Um, it's just a matter of like, if you if people buy into like, this being a real need for people, and they buy into the fact that we've done a great job at filling the need thus far, um, there's really no need to wait, right? Like, why wait for somebody else to come out and copy us to throw money at it? Like, you should just throw, like, we should we should all buy into this now and grow it as big as possible before somebody else comes out and copies us. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, this is really great. A lot of good nuggets and takeaways. It, it, do you have, you know, if you could rewind the clock to your, whatever, 2016, when you're having this idea with your co-founder, uh, is there any piece of advice you would give your your younger self, slightly younger, not not that much younger, your slightly younger self when you're first starting out um, as it pertains to, to raising capital or even just general advice for, for other founders watching this? 
Uh, yes, it would be to sandbag your projections. Um, I and this is a personal problem that I have, right? I tend to overpromise things, um, and I think my goal with I was very optimistic early on. Number one, um, number two, uh, I think you're eager to sell people on what you're doing, and so you want to tell them that you're going to have this super rapid growth. So now's the time to come in, but fundraising and all of these things take way longer than you anticipate they will. And you can shoot yourself in the foot if you're like, yeah, next month we're going to kill it, you know? And then if next month comes before the person writes a check, if you haven't killed it, that alone can, you know, can, can, can kill the deal in their mind. And it has nothing to do with how well the company's doing. It has, but it has everything to do with, with just perception. Yeah. Um, like if I tell you we're going to do $2 million our first month out of the gate, and we do one, like $1 million your first month out of the gate would be equivalent to what Casper did, which was the best, most successful consumer launch in history. Um, but if you're an investor and you, you'd be like, eh, they didn't do that great. They told me they're going to do two and they only did right. one. And so it's like, there's no need to do that. Um, I think, and so if you, you're better off sandbagging your projections, um, and then making sure you beat them because then you just look really, really good. Um, and, and so I think that was something that I did not do well and, you know, look, we survived it, but, um, I, I wish I could, I could do that over, over again. And, and, and there's, there's many examples of, of people I've, I've heard from some people that, the Warby guys came consistently came in at like half of what they projected they would do, and they obviously did fine. So um, it's not to say you can't do it, but uh, you know you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that. Yeah, excellent stuff. All right, for anyone uh, who's interested in learning more, is it just burrow.com? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. And um, great. Any other? Uh, Anything else? This has been really, really fantastic. Anything else? Any plug you want to make or uh, uh, anything else top of mind? Uh, no, I mean, I don't know when this is airing, but we have a uh, Super Bowl uh, sale going on right now. So obviously the couch is the most important thing when you're watching football. So uh, that's all I'll say. But uh, the, the Tom Brady special. You're raising money. You have oh, an God, Eagles yeah. version and a Pats version. <laughs> No, I, you know, I'm not the biggest football fan, but, uh, God, I'm kind of sick of watching the Patriots. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I was at a bar yesterday here in San Francisco, and it was uh, probably 200 Pats fans and maybe 20 Jaguar fans, and it was it was unbearable. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? Yeah, um, yeah. All right, Stephen Cool of Burrow, thank you very much for another episode of How I Raised It. Um, continued uh, good success for you. And uh, thank you, sir. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yep, have a good one.